Dr. Dan's Freedom Forum is on the air. Never send to know for whom the bell tolls. It tolls for thee. Dr. Dan's Freedom Forum is a call to arms for those American patriots who, in the tradition of our founding fathers, will stand up now to defend the Constitution and the liberties that it guarantees to each citizen, to each of us. That is our mission, to explain in a clear and concise manner the direct effect of each issue on the individual, on you personally not some anonymous being in a distant place, and to define in no uncertain terms the consequences of inaction. Let the battle begin. We're talking with Paul Malone, the uh, founder and president of Grassroots North Carolina. GRNC.org is the website. I urge you all to go there. Even if you don't live in North Carolina, uh, the the policies and activities of GRNC uh, really benefit all of us, no matter where we live. So, Paul, let's talk about some of the important cases that you've been working on currently uh, at GRNC. How about the case of Bateman versus Purdue? What was that all about? Well, that's probably uh, that is probably the most uh, salient um, court decision rendered uh, within the Fourth Circuit for this particular state of emergency for the coronavirus emer- emergency. In 2011, uh, then Governor Perdue uh, declared a statewide na- uh, state of emergency in advance of a pending hurricane. Uh, and when she declared that state of emergency on the opening day of dove season, she made criminals out of thousands of dove hunters because our state of emergency law at that point in time banned carrying firearms or ammunition outside the home exactly when you needed it most. Similarly, the town of King in Stokes County uh, posted an entire their entire town against firearms due to a an impending snowstorm. So. Seeing those things, and also uh, having been in touch with Alan Gura, the lawyer who sued in uh, D.C. versus Heller and McDonald versus Chicago, uh, Alan was a friend of mine, and he contacted me and said, hey, listen, we have a great case uh, to go to the Supreme Court with, because the other cases essentially deal with keeping arms in the home. They do not deal with bearing arms outside the home. You have a blanket ban on bearing arms outside the home during emergencies. And so we sued in what became Bateman versus Purdue. Uh, the bad news is we won. I say that's the bad news because um, the state, reading the tea leaves, chose not to appeal the decision, and it never went to the Supreme Court to become precedent-setting law. The good news is, however that it struck down our state of emergency gun ban, and we went back the following year in 2012 and repealed it. And so at this point, thanks to Bateman versus Purdue, people are allowed to carry firearms for self-protection during emergencies when they need it most, when the rioting occurs, when the civil unrest occurs, whether it's a riot in Charlotte or looting after a hurricane. Now, 
this was quite frankly a, a sort of emergency that I don't think anyone really foresaw. And so we've had a number of issues since then um, that we've had to deal with, like other places in the country. I mean, basically what you've got is you've got a bunch of tyrants who figure that the coronavirus emergency is a wonderful opportunity to curtail gun rights. And so we've seen, I guess, the uh, Firearms Policy Coalition, unfortunately, just lost a suit for an injunction against the I'm sorry, the closing of gun shops in Los Angeles. Um, the mayor of Pennsylvania first closed all the gun shops as being so what they call non-essential businesses uh, in Pennsylvania and then reversed himself. Well, we've had the same sorts of efforts here in North Carolina, both re with respect to issuing uh, pistol purchase permits and concealed handgun permits. And if anybody doesn't know, in North Carolina, you must have either a pistol purchase permit or a concealed handgun permit to lawfully buy a handgun. And we can talk about that some other time, especially considering the pistol purchase permit law is actually a leftover Jim Crow law. But the bottom line is that when Wake County Sheriff Gerald Baker decided that due to the coronavirus emergency, he would stop issuing permits, uh, people who were, I guess, surging to gun stores because they feared civil unrest during this emergency were no longer able to protect themselves and their families by buying firearms. He completely stopped the issuance of those permits. So we did the logical thing. We sued him. Actually, it was Grassroots North Carolina, the Firearms Policy Coalition, and the Second Amendment Foundation. And we filed suit uh, and a, uh, an injunction against Baker in federal court. And um, suffice to say, at this point... He is now under a consent order to start issuing permits here in the near future. Um, the thing is, he was in violation of any number of laws, but essentially, under our, the North Carolina Emergency Management Act, as amended by Bateman versus Purdue, you cannot unilaterally close gun stores. Uh, certainly not unless you close every other business around in the state. And, uh, of course, not all businesses are closed. Some are considered essential. So uh, Baker was the first of several um, successes we have had after the, uh, since the coronavirus emergency began. You know, it's interesting how uh, everyone in power uses any kind of crisis that it can to further their own political agenda. Uh, and obviously... The collectivist agenda is one that, that rests upon using crises of various kinds. Uh, never let a good crisis go to waste, of course, being their, their mantra. Uh, but you remember during the Hurricane Katrina uh, in New Orleans, there's video of, of the sheriffs going from door to door, confiscating guns from perfectly sane, reasonable, law-abiding citizens who felt rightfully so, that those guns were what could protect them against the violence which ensued in the city. Uh, somehow, uh, it's always right for the collectivist left to take away your individual right of self-protection. They think there's nothing wrong with that. Somehow, they believe that uh, you shouldn't have that right of self-protection. Uh, but the people in power, the arrogant elitists, they're always protected. 
And that, of course, leads us to a discussion of one of the key hypocrites in this whole area, and that's Michael Bloomberg. He always goes around with at least four or five bodyguards fully armed, so he's protected, but he wants to take away our rights to protect ourselves. How does he play into this whole situation? <laughs> Michael Bloomberg. Well, in any number of ways. Uh, of course, he's been spending uh, more than a decade forming what I call astroturf organizations, phony grassroots. Uh, at first it was mayors against illegal guns, then it was moms demand action. I think there were probably about half a dozen moms in North Carolina, and they actually ship them in from other states when they need them. Uh, then it was every town for gun safety. But you are absolutely correct about Bloomberg's propensity to arm guards around him when he showed up for one of his demonstrations in a can. Uh, that would be the No More Names Tour, in which they drove a bus in and uh, unloaded the uh, the demonstrators and read the names of supposed victims of gun violence, which, by the way, included cop killer Christopher Dorner, the Boston bomber, and a few other people that had been justifiably killed by, uh, you know, in, in justifiable homicides. But nonetheless, all of his uh, his bodyguards in their New York plates uh, uh, all had bulges under their jackets. So I pointed that out because we had a counter-demonstration. We had found out where they were, despite the fact they were trying to keep it secret, and got a uh, permit for a counter-demonstration. And uh, I pointed out the fact that they, uh, these guys were armed. And he said, well, maybe they have concealed handgun permits. And I said, and I said well, that doesn't matter, uh, because under the statutes, they can't have a firearm at a demonstration. Well, by the time we actually got the police to go over and <laughs> and inquire, they had seen me talking to the police and dumped the firearms, but that'll give you an idea for the level of hypocrisy you are dealing with. But as you say, Bloomberg will factor very large in the next election. And in fact, I'm thinking we're probably going to hold our next fundraiser for the political action committee. Typically, we raffle off some attractive type of AR-15, and uh, we'll probably call it the Michael Bloomberg special for exactly that reason. We're talking with Paul Vallone, the uh, founder and president of Grassroots North Carolina, grnc.org. Well, that's a good thing to do because I think his name is synonymous with gun grabbing, with restrictions, and the desire basically to disarm law-abiding citizens. Uh, It's really, he is such a hypocrite, and most of those people are who do this, they're just... They believe that they are always immune from any of the laws that they pass uh, to restrict our rights. Uh, isn't it fortunate that our founders were so uh, so wise uh, and the people of that time were so wise to actually insist that the Bill of Rights be included in written form? I guess the founders kind of figured everyone knew what their rights were. But writing them down is, is really kind of saved us. Uh, through all these years uh, from people trying to take away our individual rights. And Michael Bloomberg, as far as I'm concerned, when it comes to the Second Amendment, he's at the top of the list. And uh, the Constitution is, uh, provides us with any number of benefits that people don't really uh, aren't aware of. For example, I noticed that Boris Johnson in Britain ha- is now afflicted with the coronavirus, and they were uh, Britain, of course, does not operate under a constitution. All of their laws are statutory in nature, and so they had to uh, actually 
there is no clear line of succession. If the man were to die in office, they had to appoint somebody to be his successor. Uh, that's a uh, very unstable form of government, and of course that's why the British have been able to utterly curtail the individual right to keep and bear arms, even though our right to bear arms was uh, originated with their, uh, their rights, but because ours is enshrined in the Constitution and theirs merely by statutory law, they've been able to curtail those rights where the anti-gun activists here in, in the United States have been unsuccessful, largely unsuccessful in doing so. Well, from a historical point of view, most people do understand that uh, it was the British attempt to confiscate the guns of the colonists in 1775 that led to the shot heard round the world on Lexington Green. Uh, that was the first shot in the American War of Independence, and it all was about the, the British monarch understanding that armed citizens are his worst enemy. His biggest risk was armed citizens, and so he sent his soldiers to confiscate the guns of the colonists and that's when the battle occurred on Lexington Green. So from a historical point of view, this is what dictators always do. They try to hedge their bets to put ordinary citizens at a disadvantage. You've spoken about uh, gun rights during emergencies, and we all understand how important that is. But really, what is the lesson there, Paul Vallone? The lesson is we have to prepare in advance. Isn't that what you would advise people to do? Oh, absolutely. As a matter of fact, um, when, uh, in 2013, when Congress tried to pass the uh, so-called Universal Background Check Bill, I think it was S-649, uh, we held a rally, and I, uh, I spoke at the rally, and my speech was that uh, centered on the fact that we had spent 20 years preparing for just this moment, creating the uh, communication structures and uh, the grassroots mobilization techniques to mobilize uh, mass numbers of people against the legislation. But you are correct in, in saying that essentially, you know, potential tyrants uh, will exploit any uh, opportunity just as they are exploiting the uh, coronavirus emergency. And for example, in North Carolina, we have had, uh, in addition to the problems we had in suing Gerald Baker, we have had uh, seven, um, I'm sorry, six uh, counties and cities that have attempted to close gun shops, even though the Trump administration was kind enough to include firearms-related businesses among the critical infrastructure that they recommended be allowed to keep open. But, of course, those recommendations are not mandatory. So Wake County... Uh, the Board of Commissioners made an announcement that uh, they were going to close all the gun shops as being non-essential businesses. And uh, there we partnered with Gun Owners of America and wrote uh, what I call a fog letter, a fear of God letter to the Wake County, uh, the chairman of the Wake County Board of Commissioners, Greg Ford. And he changed his attitude from one of sneering at people for calling gun shops essential early in the day on their Facebook page to when he got our letter, suddenly he saw the light and uh, quickly reversed his position, keeping gun shops open. We have sent similar letters to Durham County, the city of Durham, uh, Greensboro. Uh, I liked Nancy Vaughn, Mayor Nancy Vaughn's reply that uh, she had been 
incorrect in her interpretation of the statute and immediately uh, reversed position, opening gun shops. Guilford County, um, Orange County, and uh, effectively all of these have um, have reversed themselves and opened uh, firearm-related businesses. By the way, despite, you bring up Michael Bloomberg, despite the fact that every town for gun safety, Michael Bloomberg's organization has been actually actively lobbying local governments to close uh, firearm-related businesses during the coronavirus emergency. We've been able to beat them back in seven counties, plus um, Charlotte-Mecklenburg, which incorrectly interpreted its own declaration and it now has opened gun shops. And, uh, of course, then we had the statewide state of emergency declared by Governor Roy Cooper, who is by no means a friend of the Second Amendment, but he correctly recognized that if he didn't keep gun shops open as essential businesses, we were going to sue him. And so at this point in time, uh, we're pretty much uh, seven for seven. And that's really an effective, uh, an effective way because you operate in an effective way. And, and I've been always impressed by, by how successful GRNC has been. And, and you've done so, as you pointed out, you've done so not with a high-budget high uh, type of operation, but with a low-budget, uh, very efficient way of reaching people and reaching people in power. I love that phrase that you said, feel, they feel the heat and it makes them see the light. Uh, that's really what you're talking about. You get people to write, contact their, their legislators in large enough numbers to make them know that whatever they're doing, they better take care of the people who elected them and put them in office. One of the things that you also bring to mind is when you, when you have a crisis and you have to go and, and like to the sheriff of Wake County so that he will continue to issue pistol permits, my message to be would be to listeners, don't wait for a crisis to take care of what's essential. You know that in a crisis situation, you're going to need food, you're going to need water, and you're going to need self-protection for you and your family. Don't wait until the crisis comes in order to get those things accomplished. I couldn't agree more. Um, I mean, one of our plaintiffs in suing Baker is a woman who uh, nice, very nice woman. She had never actually contemplated owning a firearm before, but during the coronavirus emergency, she decided that she needed a firearm for protection. Yes, well, you, you are correct. It's far better for people to think ahead, but unfortunately, I have a feeling that uh, most people in society do not do so. And those people who you know, have become preppers, if you will, are often regarded as... Uh, as paranoid. Well, I guess the joke was on the preppers this time because the coronavirus emergency, the breakdown and, you know, the curtailment of civil liberties has begun to occur exactly as preppers have predicted for decades. You know, we've been talking with Paul Vallone, the present founder and president of Grassroots North Carolina. Their website, grnc.org. Please go to their website. Please support them. The work they do in protecting our Second Amendment rights is, is absolutely essential for the, for the individual freedom of every single one of us. Paul, do you have any final words you'd like to impart to our listeners? Although it's become cliche, the fact is liberty, the, the price of liberty is indeed eternal vigilance. And this emergency is exactly an example of 
that principle. And so I strongly encourage people to get active in defending their rights because, quite frankly, if they don't, they stand a significant chance of losing those rights. People think that they're not after their hunting shotgun or they're not after their target rifle, whatever it happens to be. But I can assure you that they are incrementally, they, they are attempting to incrementally end the private ownership of firearms. So we need everybody to get active. Thank you very much. Our guest on Freedom Forum Radio has been Paul Vallone, president and CEO, or founder and president of Grassroots North Carolina, grnc.org. Thank you very much for being a guest on Freedom Forum Radio. Dr. Dan, thank you very much for having me. I appreciate it very much. And that concludes another episode of Dr. Dan's Freedom Forum. Join the battle on our website, www.drdansfreedomforum.com. The rights to own private property that cannot be arbitrarily confiscated by the government is the moral right and constitutional basis for individual freedom. 